You are listening to a sermon from Mission Point St. John. We hope this message encourages a deeper connection between you and Jesus, our Savior. Without further delay, I would like to bring your attention in the Word of the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 17 to 21. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. If you see it in the screen or if you find it in the Bible, say amen. Amen. The Bible says, so Paul said, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. All things... All things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and hath given to us the ministry of reconciliation, to it that God was in Christ, reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then... We are ambassadors for Christ, as though God did beseech you by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled. For he hath made him to be seen for us, who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Praise the Lord. Tonight, I want to bring to you the topic that says the ministry of reconciliation. Would you greet your neighbor and say the ministry of reconciliation? Amen. Praise the Lord. Help me out, church. Don't make me nervous here. (laughs) Trying to... uh... (laughs) Praise God. Amen. The ministry of reconciliation. Before that, let's ask the Lord's help tonight. Once again, let's pray. Heavenly Father, once again, we thank you, God, for the reading of your word. It's already anointed, and I pray let your will be done. Let your word minister to somebody. Speak to us. Challenge us, convict us, encourage us tonight, God, that we'll never be the same, Lord, tonight. Hallelujah. We thank you, God, for what you're about to do. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Praise God. The ministry of reconciliation. The word reconciliation, uh, according to the dictionary, Miriam, Sister Miriam Webster, so um, she, uh, she, uh, she defined reconciliation as an act of Becoming friendly after a disagreement. In Greek word, if you look down on that, uh, if you look up, not look down, look up to that, to, that, to that meaning in Greek, it means restoration of favor. And when you talk about reconciliation, most of the time we think about, you know, it's, it is a relationship between one and to another. That's how it is supposed to be. But in the Bible... It's not only a human relationship, but it's also a relationship between man and God. And we need reconciliation, you know, we need reconciliation reconciliation with God. The word reconciliation is one of the most powerful subjects in the Bible, but it's not often discussed unlike the topics of grace, forgiveness, sin, repentance, baptism, and etc., but uh, reconciliation, you can find the concept, the principles, all throughout the scriptures. And tonight, I want to show you a lot of really interesting stuff about, you know, the, uh, the, the uh, custom of 
reconciliation in the Bible. So, there's this uh, culture of culture or tradition or custom in the East among Arab and Bedouins. And they call it the reconciliation meal. I don't know if you heard about it. The reconciliation meal. So in the East, uh, even, even right now, you know, some tribes, some families, some villages would still do this kind of uh, tradition or custom in, their, in, in the East. So Bedouins are, uh, if you look that up, Bedouins are, that's the, the, the lifestyle or they are known to be the nomads or the tent dwellers in the desert. Mostly you can find it in the, the Negev desert where they would pitch their tents and they would create a village there. So they're called Bedouins. And in their village, in, in, their, you know, in their custom, um, that, that, uh, the word reconciliation meal is also known as the shulha. That's the Arabic word for, for that custom, the shulha. It means table. And it's also interesting because that word shula, it's uh, come from the root word of the Hebrew word as well as can like can like sound the same from the Hebrew word table. So shulha or the reconciliation meal, this is their custom when you know whenever there's conflict between families or tribes, you know, and, and if something happened, a family feud would ignite. Especially, you know, in a close quarter setup where everybody knows everybody, you know, and if there's something happened, it, it, the family feud would uh, quickly escalate. Then if things get out of control, it, would, it could get intense and get, it becomes violent, you know, among them. And the only thing to, to stop that, you know, before the, escalate, uh, before the situation escalates, the only, you know, the, the, the way to stop that um, conflict is through reconciliation meal. What, so, they will do it like a shulha. So, what happened is, like for example, there's a person have committed, um, uh, like uh, someone has hurted uh, uh, an, uh, a person from another tribe or he had um, injured someone or offended someone. So what will happen is there's automatically a, they call it the blood revenge. So that's the, how in their culture, you know, Bedouins are really nice people. They're very hospitable. When, but when it comes to like, you know, if someone's hurt with them and, you know, among different tribes, it could get worse all of a sudden. Blood revenge is expected to settle the damage that have happened or have caused. And through that blood revenge, it could result injury or if get worse, death. And it's because their culture, their, the way they live, it's because it's more influenced um, through the code of Hammurabi. So even before the Ten Commandments must given to Moses, way back, through, uh, way, 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 way back, you know, there's this, the code of the, the Hammurabi. So um, for example, of the code of Hammurabi is, if you heard about eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth, a hand for a hand, and a foot for a foot. So I don't know if you have heard about it, but that's, that's how their, day, their, their law is. And even in the Bible, in the Old Testament, you can find this, you know, this uh, principles or scriptures in Exodus 21-24 and Leviticus 24-20 and Deuteronomy 19-21 
And even Jesus quoted this in Matthew 5:38. So, you know, so in he is like that's mostly their the, the their law are influenced. So, that's what happened if you have hurted somebody, injured somebody, it could get escalate really fast and the only thing to fix the problem is through the reconciliation meal. What happened is they before things go bad the offender or the the family that have caused wrong to somebody they will they will uh, request for a meal you know they will request for a reconciliation what happened is they will they will eat together in that meeting both families the offender and the one that have been offended they will gather and they will eat for that for that specific moment and then what happens is the offender will confess what they have done they you know they'll confess they say what they have done and after they confess everything they will ask for apology and the next thing is for the other party who were wrong they will accept that apology and after they accepted the apology they will make a negotiation a negotiation that they will call the peace price or the blood money they have to negotiate like the price. How much damage would it cost? How much money or what, what, what do we need to pay for to settle this, this kind of trouble? So that's what's going to happen. And, you know, sometimes negotiations will take for a while, for a few days, until such time both parties are satisfied for their negotiation. And then after that, they are now fully reconciled. Amen. They are now fully reconciled after they are yeah, they've decided what would be the peace price. And what's neat about this custom is when you know when the wrong family they, they cannot and they should not brought back the incident to the offender as if nothing has happened. After they have settled down this issue, you know, they will not and they should not brought up those things. Afterwards, you know, you're, they're not going to tell you, I remember you did this and you did that. No, they're going to forget everything after once it's settled. As if everything didn't happen. If you can find the similarity about the Lord Jesus Christ, when He forgives our sins, when we confess our sins to Him, when we come before Him and say, Lord, this is my mistake, this I confess my sin, and then the Lord Jesus Christ has forgiven us, and then after He forgiven us, you know, Jesus Christ paid the price, His death, and now everything, our sin is under the blood of Jesus Christ, and the enemy cannot no, can no longer bring back the past, amen, that's, the, what, that's what the enemy does, he will try to bring back all the past that, already, that, you, uh, that Jesus Christ has already forgiven, but the good thing about the blood of Jesus is that those things, they're all forgotten. As it if it never happened. Aren't you thankful tonight, church, that, that, that that's what the blood of Jesus has done for us? He had forgiven us. That's why the enemy don't have any authority or even right to bring back all the faults that was already under the blood of Jesus. But sometimes the enemy will try to, uh, you know, put lies and deceit in our minds, try to bring back all the memories or stuff that would cause, cause us guilt. But tonight, if you might be that person, sometimes you feel guilty of the things that God, or you know that Jesus has already forgiven. This word is for you. You know, you are forgiven and everything is already under the blood of Jesus Christ. Can we clap our hands to the Lord tonight, church? 
Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. And in this reconciliation meal, actually, you can find it uh, in, in, in some scriptures. It happened, you know, even in Jacob in Laban, uh, in Genesis 31, verse 51 to 55. Uh, actually, if you read the whole chapter of Genesis 31, you can understand all, you know, the scripture. But you can read here, Laban also said to Jacob, here is this heap and here is this pillar I have set up. And, you know, and, and between you and me. And next verse, um, and this heap is a witness, and this is pillar is a witness that I will not go past this heap to your side to harm you, and that you will not go past this heap and pillar to my side to harm me. My, may the God of Abraham and the God of Nahor, the God of their father, judge between us. So Jacob took an oath in the name of their fear of his father Isaac. The next verse, he offered a sacrifice there in the hill country and invited his relatives to a meal. So what happened in this chapter, if you, you know, if you study the story, you know Jacob has, you know, Jacob and the relationship with Laban, he's his father-in-law. Jacob worked 14 years to get Rachel and Leah. And after 14 years, Jacob has to work another six years for, for all the flocks. And Jacob did not do anything wrong for, for Laban. He was faithful to his work. He was very, you know, he take care of everything that Laban has. And it came to a pass that, you know, for 20 years, Jacob didn't still have his liberty of his own. And Laban, you know, even changes Jacob's wage 10 times. So if you could imagine how Jacob would feel, he felt, he felt like he wasn't being treated well, he wasn't treated right, and it came to a point where he was like, okay, this is it, I'm, I'm done. So what he did is, one time he took Rachel and Leah with him and all the cattle that he, it belongs to him, and he left. And because of that, Laban was mad about Jacob because he didn't, he didn't ask for permission that I'm going to leave. He just left and took everything from him. And Laban was really, really mad. And he chased Jacob, you know, for, 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 for how many days? Until such time, Laban caught up to Jacob. And, you know, and Laban was really mad that he's just really ready to kill Jacob. But if you read the scripture, when they met and they talked about everything, what settled them is the reconciliation meal. That was the covenant. They made a pillar. They made something that is just the, the monument that, you know, you don't go past there. You're not going to hurt me. I'm not going to hurt you. They made a reconciliation meal. So it's really interesting how they settled or they had this reconciliation. In Psalms 23 verse 5, you know, this is a very interesting. I've kept on, you know, I uh, have a different perspective before of Psalms 23. Thou preparest a table before me in the ta in the presence of mine enemies. I used to think that, you know, David wrote this and, you know, if you imagine that there's an enemy before you and God is preparing a table with all the food because he want to bless you despite of all the enemies trying to hurt you, God will promote you in the midst of that, you know, that, that situation. He will bless you among your enemies. But if you already, if you understood the concept of the reconciliation meal, what David really meant is that the table that God is preparing before his enemies is not just for him to be blessed, 
But what David was saying that God will take care of David, that he will make a way, God will make a way for him to have reconciliation and favor for his enemies. That's why after that he says that my, run, my, my cup run it over. It's a symbolical uh, Hebrew term that it means overflowing joy. You cannot have overflowing joy if you know someone's after you all the time. Can you imagine like David's life was, he was just being sought by Saul all the time of his life. You know, he did everything right he could do in his life and still Saul was still mad at him. He lived a life that someone's always after him. But he said, the Lord is my shepherd that, you know, in the midst of my enemies, he's going to put a table. God's going to make a way for him to have favor and reconciliation between my enemies. That in the midst of that struggle, in the, in the trouble, God's going to give me an overflowing joy. That's why surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. It's not going to be no longer my enemies going to be chasing behind me. It's now going to be the goodness, hallelujah, and mercy of God following me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's the favor. That's the reconciliation that David was meant, what he meant in Psalms 23. What a powerful understanding of this scenario. Praise God. Praise God. Next, you know, so, so if I understood the reconciliation, there's a lot here. It's really interesting. Having meal with a person signifies that you're acquainting yourself to them or you're friends with them. So Mark 2.16, Luke 5.30, Pharisees questioned Jesus. You know the story. They questioned Jesus for, you know, for eating with the publicans and the sinners. They're always mad at that. It's because how could you be a rabbi teaching the law and then you're there acquainting with the sinners, with publicans? It meant like, you know, what actually... In the mind of Jesus, if, if I really, you know, if you put yourself into it, to that situation, Jesus is making a gesture. You know, I'm not just here for food alone. I'm here sitting with publicans, with sinners, because I want to, I want people to see and understand that I'm making a way for these people, for the sinners to come to God. Because I'm trying to reconciliate them to God. I'm being the bridge. You know, these people, you forsake them. But I'm here sitting down because this is the gesture that I'm reconciling them into his presence. But the Pharisees didn't see this, this, this concept. And they're always bashing Jesus Christ about this. They always bash him like, why are you sitting and eating with, with the sinners? And having fellowship, even in the wedding at Cana where he made his first Miracle, you know, he, he sat down and enjoyed and he celebrated with that wedding. And Pharisees was mad about Jesus. Even Peter, in Acts 11.3, Peter was confronted by the brethren in Jerusalem. They think they contended with Peter when he went to Cornelius' house because he ate with the uncircumcised Gentiles. If you can understand, like the thinking, they they were mad of Peter because why you are there with the, like uh, the uncircumcised Gentiles in Cornelius' house? But what happened is that was the entryway, the reconciliation for the Gentiles, for us, church. Amen. We are we are now benefiting over the ministry of these people in the Bible. Peter and Paul, like they made a way, they reconciled, they created a path so that we can have the salvation. It's a way of God for us to hear the gospel. 
Hallelujah. Praise God. Thank you, Jesus. Can we clap our hands to the Lord tonight? Hallelujah. 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 Oh, God, thank you, Jesus, for the reconciliation. Hallelujah. In the parable of the prodigal son, in Luke 15, we can see the story. We, we know the story, right? The, the prodigal son. He took all of his um, inheritance while his father was still alive. It's a gesture as if that I'm already treating you as dead. Because the only way for you to have the inheritance is when your parents have already passed. And that's when you get the inheritance. But taking your inheritance while your parents are still alive is that you're just, you know, slapping in your, that your parents' face that you're already dead to me. But he did that and took all of his inheritance and left. And we know the story. He lived a riotous life. Everything went wrong. And then he realized that the servant's life was still better you know, than, than him, you know, I could just be a servant. So he went back, he went back to his father's house. And there the father was waiting for him and he ran after the son. I know you already heard about this. The reason why the father ran, it's because the punishment for, the, for a son who rebelled against their parents in the Bible was to stone to death. If you are a child and then you, you know, you, you have defied your, you have defied your, your, your parents, the punishment is stoned to death. And the reason why the father ran towards the son is that to show the neighborhood that despite my son has defied me, this, even though my son has rejected me, I'm going to show them and run towards him and hug him to show that I have ex accepted him. Him again in my presence. You know, just like Jesus Christ, amen. People would just accuse us and will throw stones against us. But Jesus run towards us, amen. As we come back to Him, you know, people will say something bad against us. They will judge us. But Jesus just came running to us and just hug us and say, You are the beloved. You are the accepted. Hallelujah. I have forgiven you. I have forgiven you. He ran back. Towards his son. And what happened is his son confesses his sin. And you see that as he started to confess, he said his sin. And he said, I just, I don't want, I don't need to be your son again. I can just be your servant. But the father reinstated his son again. Through giving him the robe and the sandals as a symbol of sonship. Servants don't wear sandals. Well, especially they don't have robes. But it signifies that, that the father is restoring his sonship. He's restoring. And aside from that, he gave back the ring as a symbol of power and authority and also like a credit card in their time. So wherever he goes, he'll just stamp his signet and he'll buy and his father will just pay for him. That's it. I have a credit card my ring, just like that. <laughs> that was like that in the Bible. He's sing. So basically, the father restored everything, the resources, his identity. That's what Jesus did for us too as well. Amen? 
when we went back to the Lord, hallelujah, we were sinners. You know, we were sinners saved by grace. But when the Lord Jesus Christ accepted us once again, hallelujah, He restored our sonship. We are no longer sinners, but we are now the children of God. Hallelujah. And because we are now the children of God, hallelujah, He has given us the power. He has given us the authority. Hallelujah. He's given us, hallelujah, the, the resources. Amen. He's given us everything as a son. That's why he said, if you ask anything in, in my name, I will do it. That's one of the benefits of being a son. And that's what he did as in, in a parable. He restored everything. And that's what God wants to do to someone tonight. God wants to restore your identity. If you have lost your identity, you don't know who you are. You felt like you're just a castaway because you were a sinner. Come back to God. Hallelujah. Be restored. And God's going to restore you. Hallelujah. You are His child. Hallelujah. He will restore you. And after, Jesus, after the Father restored the Son, it didn't end there. We know the story. The Father said, okay, because my Son had come back to life, Let's prepare a big meal. What does this say to us? It's not just only a celebration, but it is also a symbol of showing the neighbor, also a lot of the people, that the reconciliation is being restored, being established. Being established. That's the reconciliation that have happened in the prodigal son. The Last Supper in John 13, 26 and 27 we can read in the Bible, Jesus responded, It is the one to whom I give the bread I dip in the bowl. And when he had dipped it, he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. When, Jesus, when, when Judas had eaten the bread, Satan entered into him and then said, Jesus told him, Hurry and hurry and do what you are going to do. If you can understand what's happening in the Last Supper. Before everything take place, before Judas, um, you know, uh, betrayed Jesus Christ, he already invited everyone into the Last Supper, into a meal. What happened is this, before even Judas, you know, made his, his, uh, his uh, thing to do, you know, to, 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 uh, to deceive Jesus Christ, what, what Jesus was trying to say is that I have already forgiven you. I have already, before you betray me, even be, before you even betray me, I have already forgiven you. And in fact, the bread that I dip, I know you're going to betray me. And you know, the bread symbolizes the body of Christ. And when he dipped that bread, he offered it to Judas. He was saying, I am here. I am offering myself to you everything. You can do whatever, do, hurry, go and do. I'm already giving myself to you. And the Last Supper is, is or is showing that I have already forgiven you before you, you know, before you handed me to the Roman soldiers. It was a powerful reconciliation. It's a powerful uh, reconciliation. Just bear with me. I'm going somewhere tonight. I promise you. <laughs> I promise you tonight. Hallelujah. Praise God. So that's what happened in the Last Supper. Before Judas betrayed Jesus, he already forgiven him. Now, there's another story now in the Bible. Peter. 
Judas betrayed Jesus Christ. Peter denied Jesus. But this is what happened. This is very interesting. In John 21, verse 12 and 13, when, uh, like, after Jesus resurrected from the dead, everything took place. The first thing that Peter and his colleagues, you know, first thing he, they had in mind after their master left is go back to fishing because they don't know anything other than fishing. What are they going to do now? They felt lost. Like, what's going to happen next? What, what, what are we going to do now? So they find themselves going back to fishing. After Jesus resurrected, if you, if you read it in John 12, 21, 12, now come and have some breakfast, Jesus said. None of the disciples dared to ask him, who are you? They knew it, that it was the Lord. In verse 13, then Jesus served them with the bread and the fish. What did they had? A breakfast meal. But this is, a, this is a powerful scenario because, you know, even though Jesus showed up to the disciples, what he, he was, his intention really was specifically for Peter. Because Peter denied him three times. And because of that, there's no reconciliation in, his, in Peter's heart. He wept in the Bible. The Bible said he wept, but it didn't say he repented. But he wept. But you know that Peter repented because his life was changed totally. But he wept because he betrayed or he denied Jesus Christ. But Jesus, before he ascended, he intentionally met with the disciples and specifically towards Peter. If you notice in John, in John, 12, uh, in John 21, you can see that Jesus settled things, the matter with Peter. He reconciled Peter with him because Peter denied Jesus Christ three times. Jesus also asked Peter three times. He asked him, do you love me? He asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Because it was three times that Peter denied the Lord Jesus Christ. What Jesus was doing is he was reconciling Peter back to him. He was reconciling Peter of everything that have happened. And Jesus Christ recommissioned Peter. He restored, you know, something that was lost from Peter. He gave chance for Peter. And this is something that was very powerful, church. You can compare Judas and Peter. Both of them have done mistake. Judas uh, betrayed Jesus. Peter denied Jesus. But the difference is that Judas, he committed suicide right after that. He don't know how to deal that stuff. He just he was so guilty. But Peter, even though he felt really bad, but because he stayed, even though he felt lost, he stayed and Jesus came back to him before he ascended and restored Peter back. The question is, are you Judas or are you Peter? How do we respond if we have committed mistake towards the Lord Jesus Christ? Don't go somewhere else. Don't, 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 don't end your purpose. Don't end your destiny. Hallelujah. Let Jesus restore you tonight. Hallelujah. Somebody might be watching tonight and you might feel like your destiny has been destroyed because of your mistake. No, no, no. God wants to restore you. 
He wants to restore you. He's creating a way for you to be reconciled. Hallelujah, hallelujah. God is restoring you. In, in, in Revelation 19 and verse 9, there's going to be this called the marriage supper of the Lamb. And this is the forever reconciliation with the Lord. The marriage supper of the Lamb. Now I'm closing, but this is where I'm going tonight, church. The whole purpose of the incarnation of Christ is to bring reconciliation to the world with God. Our relationship with God was broken because of sin. Our iniquity separated, separated us from God, as the prophet Isaiah declared. And it was us, the humanity, that needed reconciliation with God and not God needing reconciliation from us. It was always us. Sometimes, you know, I've heard some people that are preached like, you know, you just accept the Lord Jesus Christ as your Lord and personal Savior. I mean, you know, it makes sense, right? You accept the Lord Jesus as your personal Savior. Let Him come into your heart. That's true. But in the, the truth of the matter is, it is the Lord that accepted us. Because we are the one that needs reconciliation to God and not God reconciling to us. We are the one who needs to humble ourselves and come back to His presence. That's why in Revelation 3.20, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice, open the door, I will come to him and I will sup with him. God is trying to build a way for us to be reconciled. There might be some stuff in our heart tonight. I'm not talking about meal. You know, I, the meal is just like the, the culture and the tradition of reconciliation. But further than that, the point is reconcile, reconciling ourselves to God. And Jesus Christ was the blood. He paid his, the price. He was the one who paid in behalf of us. We are the offender. And we have offended the law. And the law demanded death. Because of justice. But because of Jesus Christ, because of His grace, God has given us the opportunity to once again be in His presence. I have told everything, I've mentioned everything of this. It's not for the sake of additional information or knowledge. I shared everything of this for us tonight. Is for us to realize the value and the, the importance of what the Lord Jesus Christ has done for our lives. Because sometimes, you know, we have, there, there, there would be some moments that we have gotten used to the, the presence of God that sometimes we've, we felt that we have taken for granted the presence of God. And some people don't even understand what the presence of God feels like. But we are here in the church, we always celebrate, we feel the presence of God and we're so grateful for that. But there are also dangers that we have become so familiar with the presence of God that sometimes the danger could be we have taken for granted the presence of God. I'm not here to say something to condemn us, but to encourage us to put once again the importance, to realize once again the importance and the value of what we, are, we have right now, which is the presence of God, that He, that the truth of the matter is He reconciled us once again back to His presence. And I'm so grateful for that. But this is where I'm what I'm going right now. Paul said, he has given us, Jesus, that God reconciled himself through Christ. 
And Paul said, God has given us the ministry of reconciliation. We know about ministry of music. We know about leadership ministry. We know about, you know, ushering ministry. We know all those stuff. But there's this one ministry that Paul mentioned that we need to understand. The ministry of reconciliation. And Paul said that God has given us the ministry of reconciliation and the message of reconciliation as if God is pleading to other people through us. That's why we are called the ambassadors. The ambassador speaks in behalf of the country, of the government. And we are that people. We experience the reconciliation. We experience God's grace. And because of that, now we have understood how to be reconciled with God. He given us the ministry of reconciliation for people. The message of reconciliation. The gospel of Jesus Christ. And to tell other people. Now, tonight the challenge is, are you be willing to be part of the ministry of reconciliation? To be an ambassador of Christ to people. To tell other people, you need to be reconciled with God. You need to come to the Lord and tell people how, you know, how it feels like to be saved. How it feels like to receive His grace, His mercy. To tell people that there's no distance. No matter how far you are away from God, it only takes one step for you to come back into His presence. Hallelujah. And I felt somebody tonight, amen, might not be here or you might be here or you might be watching tonight. You've been trying, your, you've been trying so hard to get away from the call of God, from, you know, from the drawing near of God's presence because you feel like you're not ready yet to come back to the Lord because there are some things in your life that you're not ready yet to surrender to the Lord, to lay it back to the Lord, you, that you're something that you're still holding on to your life. And you've been trying to escape and trying to avoid the call of God. That you, you know, you, God, you feel that God is drawing you into His presence. But you said like, hold on, I'm not ready yet. And right now, as the word of the Lord says, to encourage people that there's a reconciliation for you to be back in the house of the Lord. Not only in the house of the Lord, but into the presence of God. Come back, hallelujah. Whether you might be a backslider, whether you might be an unbeliever, you don't know anything about the Lord. But right now, there is an opportunity for you, hallelujah, to be drawn near into the presence of God. Hallelujah, there is opportunity for you. I'm encouraging everyone. Come back to the presence of God. Draw near into the presence of God. He became sin. Who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God. He took our place. He became the, you know, he became the bridge to the gap of our sin. Thank you for joining us today. If you want more information, connect with us on our website at missionpoint.ca. God bless you.